presentation of The Hockey Shop. Source for sports, thehockeyshop.com. On the move. We'll get into that in just a little bit. This is In Gold Radio, the podcast. One of our marquee listeners is on the program today. Looking forward to chatting with Abby Ives, who catches up with Kevin Woodley in our feature interview. We also have the gear segment uh, with Cam over at the hockey shop. Pad skins, dress yourself up, make it look fancy, uh, change your color, game to game, week to week, whatever you want to do. And we also have a goaltender going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. And maybe by the time you listen to this, already into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Woody, your buddy Lou gets the ring. Yeah, one of my all-time favorites. And obviously, like full admission here, there's no point pretending. I am completely biased. No doubt, first ballot Hall of Famer in my mind. I couldn't believe people were having that argument at any point. I was glad to see him go in. I thought it was you know, pretty perfect, for lack of a better term. And that's actually exactly how he said it. Uh, when he was first inducted and I sent a congratulations text, the message back was not about him, but it was like, you know, how perfect it is, is it that he gets to go in with Daniel and Henrik Sedin as well. So uh, big weekend here for Vancouver Canucks fans. And as somebody, you know, I wouldn't call myself a fan. I'm somebody who covers the team, but you get to know them as people as well as as athletes when you're, when you're that close to them for that long. And I couldn't be happier for the twins and I couldn't be happier for Roberto. I think it's so well-deserved for a guy who, you know what, like three goalies in the history of the game have played a thousand games. Um, he was one season away from passing Marty Berdur for the most saves all time, probably less than a season, probably needed about another 35 starts. Uh, just, you know, one of the greats, a great ambassador for the game and a guy who, you know, if I'm honest, Aaron probably inspired me more than we talk in, you know, in the past about who got you into the game and who did you emulate? Who did you want to like to me watching Roberto here in Vancouver for the, you know, parts of eight seasons at a time when I was just learning the position. You know, there's a lot of young goalies in this area that will tell you they started playing. You know, Dylan Ferguson, we've heard from Jeremy Swayman wearing number one because of Lou. Like, he impacted a lot of goalies to play the position, but he also impacted this guy in his in his mid-30s as I was just starting out, getting to watch him every game. he You know, he had a, a really sound technical game for the time, but he also had that swagger, like the big, you know, the big glove saves. I saw Marc-Andre Fleury talk oh, yeah. about, you know, the big windmill, like... You know, there was swagger there and there was some style there and just, yeah, man, I, I loved watching Bobby Lou play goal. He made glove save and I'll go back to his junior time. He took uh, two different teams to the Memorial Cup, which is unbelievable. Uh, and his world junior uh, championship uh, teams with Team Canada uh, playing on those squads. Uh, and it, the only reason why Canada was competitive in some games was Roberto Luongo facing all those shots. But him being able to stretch that left leg out, almost like in a hurdler stretch, and make the glove save is one of the first images that comes to mind when I think of uh, Roberto Luongo. Yeah, no, it's just, um, there was, like you said, like I said, some swagger, some flair, some style. Speaking of style, like how about, you know, I'm looking up, first ever goalie feature I ever wrote was for Goalie News Magazine, which was run by Ian Clark. And as, you know, as I've said before here on the podcast, that's how I got into it. Um, and the cover athlete was Roberto Luongo. And so that was my introduction to sort of covering the position was a 40 minute conversation with Roberto. And I, I think the thing that stands out the most is not the conversation, but looking at the cover of the magazine in the corner of my office was those co-hosts, those coho pads yeah. with the bright yellow. Like yes. there was style there too. Like there's just, there was swagger. There was everything about the position that we loved. And you know what there was above everything else, Darren? 
consistency throughout. I mean, guy could just be counted on year in and year out to run around 920, maybe at the worst 919. Now, the one year with Torts here where the system wasn't a fit at all for his strengths, it dipped, uh, but down, you know, traded to Florida and right back up into the upper echelon. It's funny because we got a lot of goalies sort of dipping their toes into being a number one right now. Um, and they'll do it for a year and then there's a dip the second year. And that was one of the things that made Roberto great was just his ability to perform at a high level year after year after year for 17 seasons in the National Hockey League. So uh, I'm looking forward to the jokes because he's got a few of them. Um, We saw a different side of his personality come out through Twitter. And I think that endeared him to more people. But those who knew him knew that side already. It was just nice to let the rest of the world see that sense of humor uh, come out on social media. I just want to piggyback on your consistency claim. 9-19 with the Florida Panthers. 9-19 with the Vancouver Canucks. And one place, he spent 11 years. The other place it was was eight years. So same save percentage, like money in the bank that you you were getting basically a, a nine twenty, uh, and then you look, he he made twenty eight thousand four hundred and nine saves. Yeah, twenty eight thousand four hundred and nine saves. And you know what the funny thing is, like I was watching that because again, like like Berder obviously holds all those records. You're not catching them for wins, you're not catching them in the games played. But I don't think a lot of people, including Roberto, when I told them this, realized because of all those years, like early Vancouver, man, as Elaine Vigneault used to say, it's come on, Lou. Like that was the plan. And, and especially those early years in the first stint in Florida, like just, you know, like absolutely blitzed, like, a, like just tons of shots. He was really close to catching Marty for the most saves in the history of the game by one goalie. And that's kind of how we're defined, right? By making saves. So. I was kind of cheering silently that that he would get that record. Um, not far from it. Uh, he's got the gold medal in 2010 as a starter. He was there with Kerry in 2014. To, so two Olympic gold medals. Obviously, we got the one jersey hanging behind me here on the office wall. Um, got to witness that one firsthand as a member of the media and talk to him after and to see the pride in that moment for him afterwards. The other part about Roberto that I don't think a lot of people realize, and I've written about it a few times, never stopped evolving. Right, like I'll never forget the year where San Jose in the playoffs really exploited and and tried to attack uh, his VH, you know, the old traditional one pad up, one yeah. pad down VH, and and Roberto, you know, like you know, for those who've never met him in person, like he's a little bow legged. He looks like he just got off a six hour cattle drive sometimes. So um, holding that back leg above the goal line when he was in a VH was problematic. So you could kind of like jam away and force it down, you know, into the net and, and pucks over the goal line. And teams were literally trying to do that. And I'll never forget, like sending a message like, Hey, what about this reverse VH thing that's starting? And so he got Ian Clark that summer to teach him the reverse VH down in Florida, came back to Vancouver the next year. They weren't using it here. Uh, Rolly Melanson wasn't, you know, just wasn't part of his repertoire at that point as a teacher. And Roberto basically brought it in and said, this is how we're doing it. Um, this is how I'm going to start playing sharp angles. And you see the success. He talks about it. I've talked about him, with him about it many times. Like, it was a game changer for him. Extended his career. Uh, what are some of the other things? Like, he always, you know, he'd go to the Reebok CCM summits and they'd build his pads the way he always wore them. 
And then he'd see the new ones because it's part of the summit. And he'd be like, well, okay, what's different here? Okay, we'll, we'll put that on my pads. I want to try that. Like if it's going to get to the ice faster, I want to try the new knee stack. I want to try the new strapping. Uh, I think of, you know, goalies being re- resistant to trying composite sticks, you know, during his era. And he was one of them. He was in a foam core for most of it, but then he suffered a shoulder injury, started using a composite stick so that he could practice because it was lighter and he was getting over the shoulder injury. And so it allowed him to get out there because it was lighter and he loved it so much that he never went back. Like, you know, even in his last couple of years, he switched his skates, right? He was in those old Reebok, like 20 Ks, yes. super low profile, but he's starting to slip out in them a little bit. So he went to a, you know, no cowling, super tall VH skate. And so um, just his ability to get his access, his edge and never slip out and get better pushes. He loved that. So again, just right till the end, always looking for ways to get better. He'd be the first to tell you, and he did to me many times, the position is constantly evolving. If you're not improving and evolving with it, you're falling behind. And he really did. I, I don't think it's a coincidence, whether it's Marc-Andre Fleury or Bertolo, like all the greats, they recognize that they can never rest on their laurels. They have to keep working. And Roberto was certainly, uh, he exemplified that. Uh, you mentioned some of his uh, great moments, uh, for sure, Vancouver, and and that uh, moment in time being at the other end for the golden goal. Uh, the World Junior Championship in Winnipeg that year was one of the great goaltending performances I've ever seen by a guy who who didn't claim, uh, ended up uh, on top of the podium. The part, though, that that stands out was the World Cup, and I want to say 2004, where he took over from Martin Brodeur in that tournament. Brodeur got injured uh, in, in and around the, the semifinal, uh, quarterfinal, and Lou had to step in, and he was money, man. And that, that was one of those great proving moments. And 10 years or six years later, he, he wins the Olympic. Well, uh, and, and same, so that, same that, situation, that cool. right? Like, like that was yeah. Marty's job in 2010. And so not just the pressure of a nation in your, the, in the building you play in, like your home city, your home rank, even if it's not his hometown, but playing in Vancouver for the Olympics, yeah. all eyes on you. And oh, by the way, the net's now yours ahead of, you know, a living, breathing, all-time great legend in Marty Berdur. And he, the way he handled that pressure, I thought, was was a big part of that story. I loved his Johnny Canuck mask, too. Yeah, that was a good... Some some great artwork. Yeah, he's, he's had a few. You know what one of my favorite ones was? Is uh, he sort of had a Kurt Ridley one. Like, obviously, you could never do it the oh. same as Kurt. Um, yeah. But he had one like that uh, where it... Cro- like, he had a lot of good ones. And, and credit to his painter at the time was Marlene Ross, not somebody who did a ton of masks. Uh, had some select clients, and Roberto was one of them. And... Yeah, I, you know, the other one I liked, I li- I liked when he put the gold plate, like he was one of the early guys to put the gold mm. plate when he went back to Florida the second time to actually have the gold leaf worked into it. I thought those were pretty sharp too. Uh, do you remember his Islander mask? See, predating me now, Darren, in terms of paying that much attention. Walk me through it. Well, remember well, no, in the, it, the Pink Panther, was that all Florida when he started putting the Pink Panther on the mask yeah. regularly? Yeah. That was a little iconic. Uh, he only played 24 games for the Islanders. And then uh, do you remember him as a Canuck because you were there all the time? Because he ended up playing more games for the Florida Panthers. I remember him as a Canuck because obviously, like I said, that was when I was getting into covering yeah. the position to this degree or trying to. Um, and obviously we built a relationship there. 
I, I, I do think of him though, as much as a Panther as I do a Canuck. Like I, I, even though I watched him up close and personal here in Vancouver, um, and walking into that locker room in 2011 after, after they lost might've been one of the hardest interviews I've ever been a part of, like, just cause you feel for the person cause you know how close they were. And so I do, that's my first inclination, but you know, like I said, my first interview, he was still in Florida. Oh, three Oh four. And my mind should have won the Vezina that year. Um, but I, to that point, the GMs had never given it to a goalie on a team that didn't make the playoffs. Uh, they finally broke that sort of tradition with Bobrovsky. I think they should have done it with with uh, Roberto in 0304. Um, the 48 win season he had here uh, in Vancouver, but then also Florida. Like I, I spent a week with him in Florida, you know, with Robbie Tallis, watching the work they did off the ice. Like I recognized, I was able to see him there in person and see just how big an impact he had on that team as well as that community. So even though it's my backyard and that's the first instinct, I still. Like I'm still split. Like I, I know how how much he meant to the Panthers organization as well. And the first ever guest on In Goal Radio the podcast in the old car for sure. Like number one, uh, it, it you know, and we always ask that question: Why do you wear number one? His answer was my favorite because number one says it all. I love that answer. Certain we talked about swagger. There was a little swagger to that answer. Um, so number one on the In Goal Radio podcast, and you know, we're what are we one ninety three here? Like we got a special like. 200th episode coming up um wasn't gonna bug him heading into the hall of fame but uh let's see if we can get roberto to to headline our 200th episode here they're gonna be a little celebration in vancouver before the panthers come so i'm i'm planning on cornering him for a little bit of time i think danny sabrin gets a mention at all in speech well he's already made a few bathroom jokes just when they handed out the rings today i don't know if you saw that (laughs) somebody asked daniel sedin uh, where he was when he got the yes. call, and he said, "I was on the bathroom." Roberto said, "I can relate. I will never <laughs> ever forget that night because I I did not travel. I didn't travel with the team. It was in Anaheim. Um, and when Roberto comes out, it doesn't come out in for overtime. The overtime, and Sabrin has to play. And I'm getting text messages like crazy from reporters that are covering it, going, "What could possibly go be going on here?" And I, I kid you not, Darren, I remember texting Jason Botchford, uh, the late Jason Botchford back and saying, have you ever tried to remove the gear just enough to be able to sit on the john? It takes a while. And sure enough, later on, he confirmed that that's exactly what happened. So, um, hey, Danny Sabrin didn't mind. He turned that little appearance and he, I mean, let's be honest, he didn't get to play much behind Roberto, but Danny had, had crafted, you know, built a reputation as well. Like he was a good goalie. Um, but that appearance and the ability for him to go in there for as long as he did and not give one up, uh, there, you know, as he said to us since then, like probably got a one-way contract after that year out of it because of it. One of the most spectacular moments that you could ever imagine an athlete being put into was that sudden death, uh, overtime game in a Stanley cup, uh, playoff contest so let's get into uh what we're got uh, for today and that is the feature interview presented by sensorina and a great tie-in with our guest and sensorina and also the hockey shop a source for sports the hockey of so much happening right now can you imagine the stress level of cam and company yeah it's uh it's high and yet they've got it under control so the move is coming folks last day and i actually feel like i need to head out there just to sort of be there on the last day is November 14th at the old store in Surrey. Long time that they've been there. They will reopen at the new location in Langley on November 19th. But don't don't stress. 
If, if you need your skate sharpened, get it done before the 14th. But for all your other needs in terms of, you know, you got some accessories you need to buy, or if it's new pads, like whatever it is, you can still buy online at thehockeyshop.com during that move period. And then we cannot wait to show you it may, the finishing touches won't all be done, but just to give you a glimpse of what the new goalie department at the hockey shop is going to be like in Langley, that'll be a part of our gear segment next week. Um, so make sure you look for that. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it is stressful. There's a lot of gear to be moved and a lot of be gear that's going to be need to be sold over the next little while. So look for some specials as we head into Black Friday. Um, but I think they've got it under control, you know, kind of like it's like the duck on the pond, right? You know, everything looks okay. Yeah, the feet yeah. are moving furiously underneath. That's what it's usually like behind the scenes at the hockey shop because you don't grow to that size and service that many customers in the goalie world, you know, without a little chaos. But it's all about just being calm, letting the play come to you, presenting big, not looking like you're panicking or swimming in there. That's how Cam likes to pretend to play goal. It's how his goal department manages things at the hockey shop. And even in the midst of the move, it's how they'll manage things at thehockeyshop.com. Don't fret. You'll be able to get what you need. Just hit them up online during that three or four day window between closing one and opening the other. Well, I feast on their accessories. Uh, hockey bag, uh, you got dangler, and and yes, danglers. I should actually send that to you guys for Christmas, uh, a dangler. Uh, also, uh, the padded uh gear uh under undergarments uh i love that uh so all stuff that i bought through the hockey shop uh, thehockeyshop.com and uh today we're going to talk about a good old staple of padskins yep uh everybody i think knows by now uh what padskins is all about you know it's a, like a synthetic leather sticker kit essentially but it's not like sticker sticker not like you'd put on your laptop or your phone it's like an actual synthetic leather that you stick on your pads to change the color. What I didn't know, Darren, I got to admit, I'm learning things all the time. Beyond all the different colors, they've got different textures. And so it was time for me to get caught up on all the different opportunities and options that you have with pad skins that you can get through Cam at the hockey shop and thehockeyshop.com. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. I'm here in Goalie Utopia with Cam Matwiv, who is pretending his pad skins is a microphone. Um, that works, Cam. That works for me. Um, you've rattled me. I feel like a player that can't come up with a good answer. We're talking pad skins today, folks. We've talked about them in the past. We're going to do a real quick hit here, update you. It's that time of year. Not everybody is on the same team they plan to be on. Maybe you got cut. That's the kind of thing that would have happened to me. Beer league team's always trying to get rid of me. Maybe, maybe you got called up. Maybe you got promoted. That's a Let's positive be a bit mindset. More positive here Pete today. Fry, the goalie mindset guy. You got called up. You're on a better team, and you need a new set or a new look to your pads. But you don't want to shell out, or the wait time's too long to get brand new matching gear. Yes. So how do you make your gear match? Pad skins, literally. Like, look at how much of this stuff yeah, he has. Keep, like, might as well all keep the different all of colors. It. All of it. Right Cam's now. got pink for October, which we probably should have done this a month ago, but keep it in mind for next year. Exactly. Okay, so pad skins. It's a pretty simple concept. You basically cut the pattern out and you apply it to your pads. But there are so okay. wax tracing paper inside included. 
paste it on your pad. Trace out the graphic that you would like to do. Back down onto now the actual pad skin material itself. Follow your tracing pattern, cut it out, peel and stick, and you're good to go at its basic form. However, oh tips, he's got tips, let's hear. If you're super handy, I've seen guys do full on like custom graphics with these things. So now, world's your oyster, you know, as much time as you put into it is how good it's gonna look, in all honesty. Is there any, so there's like how it can look. Are there any materials, like I've heard, like say for example, CCM speed skin, maybe it doesn't stick as well. Are there any other materials it doesn't stick as well to? And is there anything you can do to make it stick better? Now, we've heard this before too. One of the things that I've found as a quick solution is actually applying some heat to the pad skin material itself before you do apply. Ooh, so, you get a hot looking pad if you add some heat. Bad joke, just keep going. <laughs> Let's take the microphone away. Um, with, <laughs> you threw me off now, jeez. Uh, take a hairdryer and actually use it to gently heat up the pad skin material itself. So that's starting to activate that adhesive a little bit more. Now peel and stick and go. Now that should help to have it hold on. And keep in mind too, these, these are stickers. Let's, let's level with you guys here. This isn't a 100% set it, forget it for the next 60 years sort of thing. This is a sticker. It does have adhesive, hot, cold. It eventually is going to start to peel. That's why it is A, removable, which is great. If all of a sudden teams change, things like that. But B, it can be obviously reapplied by cutting out the graphic. I think we need to clarify. It's a sticker in, in that it sticks on your pads using a sticker type adhesive, but it's Correct. actually like a... Not, no, it stays. It's, it's not going to fall off no, the next no, but day. It's, but the material is not like, like a sticker you put on your laptop or your no. car decal. It is actually like a synthetic leather-like or With adhesive material. on the back, yes. There you go. So exactly. let's clarify. It's not just a sticker. And including, folks, I didn't realize this until I pulled this off the wall, you can actually, they have weave. So or you can carbon. Carbon, little texture to it. It's, a, it's actually kind of a good look. Question for you, would you dare put this? Because we see goalies go with weave on the inside of their pads for sliding service. Do you dare try that with this to, to have an adhesive stuck on the inside of the pad? Now, if you would like some more clarification or would like to talk about that further, you can give me a call at 604-589-8299 because there are some tips and tricks that you could do, but... I'd rather share those with you personally. Okay, got all the different colors. I got blue, I got red. Is that brown? Is that tan leather? Just so you can go like retro too. Yes. Speaking of retro, isn't there, I swear I talked about this before in a video. Oh yeah, I think I've seen this too. Folks, a reminder, you can actually see Cam walk you through the entire process and a few pounds lighter ha! about what, six years ago? Seven, eight. 150,000 hits though, you're kind of a star. YouTube video, Cam, Pad Skids. Our YouTube channel will have it at the end of this. For those listening on the podcast, you'll be able to check it out. If you have any questions about Pad Skids, about how to apply them properly, about what type, whether it's the weave carbon or just standard, what color they have available, they got boxes of them back. They got everything. Make sure you give him a call. The number again? 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790. And of course, you can always get it online at thehockeyshop.com. Yes, and if we are out of something in your specific color, let us know. We should be able to get it in for you. I'm with you. I didn't, I didn't know there was that texture option. 
with pad skins. Uh, it makes sense. Like that weave style, they call it carbon. Like it does make sense. Yeah. Not just like, and that's interesting, like Cam talked about, like can you pull it off on the inside edge as a, as a sliding material? Because weave slides better. I mean, it's sort of one of the materials that we've seen uh, goalies use in the NHL. But weave, if you use it on the inside edge, also tends to wear out faster. So is this an option to sort of prevent that? Um, but it also provides a really sharp visual option if you're just putting, you know, strips or layers or designs on the way the weave carb their carbon pops compared to a regular color is I, I thought that was pretty cool so again i'm learning something every day and you know what like if you want to apply it we tease it in the video there make sure you watch the video go to youtube go to ig our instagram check out all those spots to actually watch the the video not just listen to it but we talked there's a second video like young cam teaching you how to apply pad skins and like six years later, it still stands up as a the definitive article on how to do it properly or the definitive video. And he's got a, almost 150,000 views. No wonder his head's so big now, Darren. Like not only with all the views we throw at him, 150,000. He's a YouTube star. Justifiably YouTube star. I'm a little bit. I'm and jealous. With a big head. Yeah, I'm jealous. I got nothing with 150,000 views on it. So here is a question for you. You have maybe some older pads where the slide is worn down, right? And there's been all kinds of uh, different home options. Like uh, I could use wax. I could do uh, uh, put on uh, some sew some new material on there. Could you put pad skins to freshen up the slide of some older pad? I think in theory you could. As Cam talked about, like yeah, there are certain limitations when you're dealing with the inside edge. Like if it doesn't wrap around the front of the pad you you have you, you have grip. that potential yeah. that it's going to get caught and grip and and cause issues with peel um but like certainly like especially on like say like a pad although they slide so well by default you know bowers you know arguably the best sliding pad anyways um but if you have wear there like something because that inside edge just wraps right around right it's all one piece you'd easily be able to yeah. apply it there uh, I think on other pads, you could probably just go over any seams and just run it over as long as you were able to keep a good adhesive stick. So, I mean, certainly worth an experiment. And, you know, it's interesting. Like I was playing with, a, I was playing against uh, at a skate a couple of weeks ago, a junior B goalie locally, who's actually 20 years old and dominating local junior B circuit. Um, he actually had duct tape over his, his pads were so old that he had duct tape over the inside edge of the knee stack. So, I think for him, maybe swapping out some pad skins instead of the duct tape would probably help even more. Wow. Yeah, he's, he's, these pads were on their last legs, and he's having a killer year in junior B playing with pads that are literally being held together with bailing wire and duct tape. Quite, again, in the duct tape, quite literally. It, it was incredible. Bailing wire, bailing wire doesn't slide at all. No, not at all. Okay, Tried that one. Yeah, d don't even go down it's that a, it's, uh, a, path. it's a good expression, but no practical application. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sensorina is a, is a good way to improve your game, though. Uh, the Sensorina VR uh, feature interview this week, Ad, uh, Abby Ives, and uh, Abby's a great story, uh, awesome background, and also a real believer in Sensorina. Not just a real believer, the number one user in the world, evidently, of Sensorina. So, and I, this, I'm not going to give it away, folks. I'm going to let her tell you how she uses it. But it was really fascinating to listen to her talk about A, how she discovered it and where she saw its value, and B, how she's since adapted it into her warm-up routines, both for practice and for games. And I'll give you the hint, it's not just about getting out there and actively stopping pucks. 
For her, it's more about being able to just see pucks move around and come at you the way you would in a game environment. Think of it as visualization, but you don't actually close your eyes. You're actually seeing it and feeling it. Um, So I thought that was fascinating. I do think, you know, the origin story, and we'll let her tell it, but is, is, is tied to the concept that unless you're playing in the NHL, you're not on the ice enough as much as you would like. And so how do we see pucks? Ice is expensive. Ice time is expensive. It's hard to get. How do we see pucks? How do we move around and make saves and feel pucks and, and, and work on our tracking and work on our mechanics? So that's exactly what Sense Arena allows you to do. It puts you in a very realistic goaltending environment. Um, whether you're doing drills with the computer shooters or whether you're using like pro shooter overlaid video, the puck comes off their stick with the same trajectory, the same spin as it would based on the release in real time. They've masked those pucks exactly in the path they, they take when they come off the stick. So you can actually learn how to read releases watching it. Uh, there's so much value. It's so realistic. Uh, and I guess, I guess at the end of the day, Darren, don't take my word for it. We're obviously big believers. We've been promoting it for a long time. We've talked to a lot of parents, a lot of young goalies, a lot of NHL goalies that believe in the product. Um, here's another one. Here's another pro in Abby Ives who believes in it. So it's not the first thing out of the interview, but make sure you stick around to the end because uh, she gets into exactly why she loves Sense Arena and how she uses it. I, I, don't, I was going to say on a daily basis. I don't know that I asked her if it is daily, but I certainly get the sense if it's not, it's not far from it. From the Connecticut Whale of the PHF, Abby Ives on Ingold Radio, the podcast. Really excited to welcome to the Ingold Radio podcast for the first time from the Connecticut Whale of the Premier Hockey Federation, Abby Ives, a Quinnipiac graduate um, who has been with the Whale now for three years. The last two with the PHF, the first one with the NWHL. Uh, before we get into the pro career, the college career, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Kevin. Um, thanks you so much for having me. Big fan, like you. Like I said, I I listen. I would say I binge listened to the podcast this summer. So really love what you guys do. Okay, so I got to ask then, like, where's the, like, we hear a lot from parents that listen with kids on the way to the you know, rink in the car. It seems to be a frequent one or on the way to tournaments. Yeah. Where do we fill the gap for, where do our interviews fill for you in the day? Where, where are we listening? Definitely in the car a lot. You know, I live in Connecticut now, but I'm from New York and it's like an hour drive. So, you know, if I go meet my parents or something, that's definitely like to listen to it then i actually listened to one when we we played this past weekend and i uh i listened to it on the bus to boston and then sometimes if i'm just you know just kind of don't have a lot to do and just on my computer i'll throw it on so a lot of different places but i'd say the car is probably where i listen to it the most okay so playing in connecticut from new york favorite interview is there any chance it's the time we spent with Henrik Lundqvist this summer is that or are you like I I don't know if that's by default you have to be a Lundqvist fan if you're from New York growing up watching him or no definitely a fan and you know that was probably like peak childhood was when he was you know kind of like starring for the Rangers so that interview was awesome I I really love listening to Demko's interviews he's kind of 
he kind of comes around Connecticut in the summer to train. So I've, I've like been on the ice with, with him when I was really young, but I always hear people like I've skated with some NHL players and they're always like talking about things he said. They're like, Oh, Demko says half the goal is going through the goalie or something. Just, he just, you know, seems like a pretty uh, well thought out guy. So I, I like listening to that. Another guy from Connecticut, Strauss, man. I just listened to that one. He's like fascinating. So yeah, lots of good ones. I, I like them all. I was just going to say, and we had obviously Spencer Knight on as well recently. Yes, so another guy yeah. that trains, uh, trains there, I think actually trains with Strauss. So have you had a chance to like, you talked about being on the ice and being around uh, these NHL guys. Is that part of, part of your routines in the off season or, you know, what, what does that look like in, in terms of, it's funny because do things translate? Like when you have the opportunity to skate with NHLers, do they translate the same for you in your game? Yeah. So it's actually funny. Um, I'm sure by now, you know, the reason all these guys are around here in the summer is because apprentice gym right. um, in Stanford. And so Stanford, that's like, that's in Connecticut. And then the town over in New York is Bedford, which is where I'm from. So my goalie coach growing up, probably from when I was 13 to now, um, his name's Matt Voidy. And uh, so the apprentice gym would have all those guys skate like twice a week in the summer. And a lot of times they would be looking for goalies because the goalies that train there, like maybe just wouldn't want to come out or like, like Jonathan quick would be out there. But so Matt, you know, they just asked like goalie coaches and they would put out like college pro guys. And <laughs> when I was like 15, they needed a goalie. And Matt, I think Matt didn't like tell them that he was sending me. He just like t- called me and was like, all right, you're going to go skate with these guys. So when I was 15, I was out there with all those guys. And I think, but I mean, it was awesome. And the big thing, um, you know, Matt, he would be out there for those and he would, he would just tell me like, just be calm and, you know, see how long you can hold your feet. And then, you know, I did that for years skating with them and he would, you know, I saw that I could be patient out there and he was like, you can be patient out there. You can be patient anywhere. So I would say that would be the biggest thing that translates is just give me, gave me confidence that, you know, I can go against these shots and play the exact same way I'd go against a girl shot. So I love it. I was planning on asking you, like I, I fully intended, you've, you've obviously listened to the podcast. You know, we always start with where did it begin for you? Yeah. But I've already started down this crazy path. <laughs> I got to keep going. I got to pull on that thread. Be calm, hold your feet. Um, yeah. We hear it so often, right? And it's become so key to today's game with everything moving east, west, and you know the ability to not commit early to your knees, to react into shots as opposed to reacting down and then reaching out for shots. Yeah. Uh, sometimes real easy to say, Abby, but really hard to do. Um, yeah. what, are, what are the keys for young goalies listening right now? Like, How do you develop that mindset, whether it's in practice like that or in a game, of patience, uh, holding yeah. your feet? How do you do it? Yeah, I think for me, like in my game, literally everything ties back to patience. And I think what I've found works for me is when I start thinking about when I'm facing a shot and I'm thinking about, okay, I need to make this save. If I make this save, then, you know, we're still winning by this much and all those thoughts and it just goes crazy. So it's for me, when I'm thinking about outcomes, it's impossible to be patient. But when I face a shot and all I'm thinking about is I want to watch this puck leave the blade 
I want to see it traveling in the air and I'm just going to let myself react. That's what's worked for me in terms of being able to be patient because, and this is something kind of Matt helped me realize was it's happening so fast. You're not going to think like, Oh, here comes a puck. I'm going to move my blocker. All that kind of happens subconsciously. So all I can do is just keep my eyes on the puck and just watch it leave the stick. And that's really all I've found that I have to do. And then from there, I just kind of let myself react. That's what's worked for me. So watching, keeping eyes and sort of staying on the puck through a release sounds like a, a real mantra for you. Is there any anything just in yeah. terms of other than thinking about it and saying it, is there any sort of, like, is there a setup? Are there mechanics that allow you to do that better? Like when you feel like you're on your game and seeing that puck longer through the release, uh, is there a trigger for it? Is it just strictly mindset? Yeah, I think something I'm like telling myself like a hundred times a game is just see the puck in the air. So when the puck is traveling in the air, I still want to be in my stance and just watching it. And I know that I'm not seeing it. If like I watch video of myself is it's in the air and I've started like moving a direction, you know, like sometimes you'll see someone drag the puck and, you know, just subconsciously I start moving that way. And that's when I know I'm a little off, but I know I'm on if I just am completely still just still just watching it. All about seeing that release. It, it, it's amazing yeah. how, Again, it's one of those things that we all know we should do, but but in terms of being able to achieve it, like I said, sometimes that's easier said than done. Yeah, no? yeah, it's it's like the hardest thing in the world. I think, like I said, everything ties back to that for me. So that's always like the main priority, and then everything else kind of branches off. I love where I love how you said you know if you're seeing it, then all your reactions you don't have to think about the glove or the blocker or shifting. Like it's all just gonna happen. Now I got to go back. I got to know. <laughs> like you're 24 years old, third year pro already, had a great career in college. Uh, what got you started? Where did the, I mean, clearly love for the position. Where did it start for you? Yeah. So for me, I think um, my dad, he's played hockey his whole life. He's played goalie pretty much his whole life. Um, he's from Minnesota. So he has that background. And then he came to New York, met my mom. And I think when my brother and I were little, really little, he just, wanted us to he just wanted us to learn to skate basically and my brother like had no interest in it so then it was just me and he just put me in like learn to play hockey did that for like a year and then I'd say when I was like six I was gonna play house league and I just remember being on vacation I was like begging him to let me play goalie because I had seen like pictures of him playing goalie with like all the old leather gear. And I think it was the gear that really, I just wanted the gear. Um, so I just remember begging him to let me play and he finally did. So I've been obviously been playing ever since. Uh, sorry, you mentioned the age group there. Was there, was there a point where it went from, you know, just, I want to do this cause dad's doing it to where did you start to transition into really sort of digging into it because it's a position that at the young ages, you know, you learn instinctually, but increasingly at even younger ages, we start to get taught. And so where did, where did yeah. you sort of cross that threshold? And did he play a role in that? Like, was he also, you know, was, was dad the goalie coach for the early years? When did, when did that start to change for you? So I would say, so I started playing goalie when I was six and I would say from like age six to 12, I was playing boys hockey and it was just like all about having fun to be honest and my dad you know both my parents 
and this is I feel like pretty different from a lot of my peers they never like gave me really any advice they just you know every game they're like oh great game you played great like that was so fun so that was pretty much my whole childhood and then I'd say when I was 13 that's when I started working with Matt and that's when I kind of realized a deeper passion of like oh I want to be really good at this and I want to go somewhere with this and that's when I really started working on my game I feel like from age six to 12 I was not like getting better or anything it was just I was just playing which is good I think but um I would say once I got to high school that's when I really dove into getting better and and working on my game well I was gonna say like looking back now because we we quite often that's late by today's standards, right? Like normally, like we see kids getting goalie coaches and position specific coaching at, you know, seven and eight. And yet the number of, of guys uh, that I've run into right up to the national hockey league, I uh, think Braden Holtby was my sort of the first one that opened this line of questioning. And I started yeah. asking it that they didn't have that, that, you know, like in his case, his dad was a goalie in the WHL and he's like, no, no, you're not going to be a goalie and get goalie specific coaching unless yeah. you keep, keep playing out to 13. Did, do you think there's value there? Yes, you were having fun, but learning to do it on your own, learning to develop your own instincts, learning to read the game. Yeah, I, definitely. I think, I like I said, I really realized my passion to want to play at a high level completely on my own. You know, like my parents were just supporting me. And I think the fact that I realized it on my own has just done so much for me because every day like you know when I want to work at it it's I know it's me and it never came from anywhere but me and I think like looking back and I'm sure some kids like have the cognitive ability to kind of learn to read plays like when they're younger but when I think of those years like I had no idea what was going on like in terms of like reading a play like I was just out there and I'm sure like I play for a boys organization and we had goalie coaches come out and I'm sure that they would try to, you know, teach me stuff, but I have no recollection of that. You know, like it was just like, I didn't care. Like all I cared about was I was just there on the ice. Like, you know, where's my dad? Is he watching? Like, what are my friends doing? You know? So I definitely think like I didn't get that until I was ready and I made the decision that I was ready. So self-driven, self-motivated. That's probably, like you said, the best way to do it in terms of rather than being pushed. You probably had friends. You probably had peers that were had to be pushed to do it. It sounds like you really came to it on your own. Yeah, Uh, for sure. sure. Okay. You said, you said gear and that was a big driving motivator. I know you're, you're last I checked, you know, looking at the images in Vaughn gear still. Yeah. Full right the whole time was that imitating dad or was that just natural for you? Are you are you left handed or I had to, I had to ask that and I'd be curious if your dad was as well. Yeah, so I'm honestly like I'm so weird. I uh, so I am left handed. I write left handed. Okay. Um, I played softball growing up, and in softball I catch with my right hand or my left hand, which is the opposite of hockey. Yeah, I don't know how that happened. But. So hold on. So you're left handed. But in softball, you threw with your right and caught with your left. Correct. And, and in hockey, you catch with your right and, and use your stick with your left. Yeah. All goalies, you, you use the word weird. Uh, we're all different, but that's yeah. definitely, that might be a take the caker right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so weird. But I mean, yeah, I think, I mean, I was so little when I, when I 
you know, first picked out my first glove and blocker and I guess it just felt right. And then, you know, I've used that ever since. I think there, I honestly had a coach when I was little who wanted to switch me to the other way, but I, I was like, no, like I can't do it. Like I couldn't imagine doing it. So. Was gear ever an issue? Because especially at, at young age, especially for using association sets, sometimes it's hard to find that full right catch and glove. Yeah. My poor dad and mom had to like cart me all over the place to try to find. Well, then we just started ordering it online because no hockey shop ever had it in stock. So then we would just order it. But yeah, uh, my poor parents had to worry about that. <laughs> Okay, so you you sink yourself into the position. You decide this is what you want to do at thirteen, and you know, not that many years later, you're you're off to college. Can you walk me through that path in between the two? Um, you know, and and when it became something that you thought you could do at a at a collegiate level with Quinnipiac. Yeah, definitely. I think like the growth I had in high school, it's like astronomical, and I think that's for a lot of kids like you know, you get a lot better in a short amount of time. But um, I would say my dad would always show me like the Minnesota Gopher games. And I was like, oh, that's what I'm, I'm going to go to University of Minnesota. But I had no concept of what that really meant. I just like, I knew, I just thought it was a given like, oh, I'm going to go play college hockey. Like I didn't know anything about recruiting or anything. Um, and then when I was a freshman in high school, I think my, I switched over to girls travel and we played like a little showcase at Cornell. And we, so we played the game and then we went to the Cornell game at night. And that's when I was like, oh my God, like I want to do this so bad. Like, how do I do this? And um, that was sort of like when I looked into like what it's going to take, what's recruiting like, you know, and my parents didn't really know anything about it either, but the youth organization, like the, the head of it, she, um, she had gone to Wisconsin. She was really helpful to us, just like walking us through the process. And I would say that year, or maybe the next year after that, maybe my sophomore year is when I, Quinnipiac, I think came to one of my games. And Quinnipiac's not too far from where I grew up. It's like an hour away. And um, my parents actually had taken me to some games when I was little. And that was like another, I was like, oh my God, like, how do I get here? And uh, yeah, they came, saw me play. And that kind of got the recruiting process started um and then I went to visit and yeah it was same thing it was just like I just couldn't believe like that this is something I could do and I just wanted to do it so bad um and then yeah eventually committed there so advice um for others uh, we probably got a handful probably more than a handful frankly that'll listen to this and might be just starting that they're either in the, the the sort of beginning of the recruiting process or maybe their eyes have just been open to, oh my God, I want to do that. I want to be there. Um, you said you had someone help you and your family through that. Is there any advice you can pass along? What's the process like? What, what's, it, what's the mindset you need to, to sort of manage not just the process, but the expectations and, and, and matching that with your desire without getting overwhelmed by them? Yeah. I mean, I would say the big thing and the big thing I say to people that ask me about this is, you know, I think parents and kids spend so much time like worrying about how to get recruited, where like the most powerful thing you can do is just get better on the ice. And I think that's kind of what I did. Like, like I said, my parents, like we were not, you know, we didn't have all these connections. Like there was no 
simple way to do it. And I was just like, I want this so bad. And that's when I just, I started skating all the time. Like I was on the ice all the time in high school and I just got so much better. And it wasn't like, I wasn't this top recruit in the nation or anything like that. And I knew like, I wasn't going to get looks from all these like Minnesota, Wisconsin, but I knew that if I got my game to a place, then I would, I would get a spot and I would put myself in a position to play when I got there. So I kind of just focused on getting better and then let everything else kind of just take care of itself. Okay. So interesting to hear you say skating all the time. I think every young goalie wants drills and dynamic and pucks and shot, 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 shot. Um, I'm sure there was some of that, but when you say skating all the time, was it legitimately like, like how, how big is skating in terms of, we talked about patience in order to be patient on your edges, you got to be there, be set, be square early. My guess, without having run this by you before, is when you say skating all the time, you really meant skating all the time. Yeah, absolutely. It's huge. And I still, it's still something that like, I'll do it every day till I'm done playing. It's just working on movement and, and edge work. And I think Matt was huge for that for me. Like he always had me doing edge work and like RVH was just kind of, becoming mainstream and he had me doing RVH all the time like and by the time I got to college like I got there and I could do it and a lot of people couldn't just because I'd spent so much time on it but I also I I just had so much desire to get to the next level that I just would go on the ice all the time like more than I should have I just have my dad drop me off at the rink and I would get on like if there was a skills coach with like a bunch of players I'd get in for that like I'd go do like do a lesson with Matt I I told you my dad he played goalie and he had some men's league my dad would be like I'm not going tonight I go to the men's league I go play in the men's league so I just and that's I don't do that anymore obviously like I skate a lot less but I was on the ice all the time and I honestly I wasn't like too smart about it I just I just wanted to get better and I didn't know how else to do it except for just being on the ice all the time. Um, so <laughs> I, I love it. We, I mean, we've heard these stories before. You've probably heard a few of them, right? Whether it's yeah. Connor Hellebuck heading to his first NAHL skate and going to public drop-in Eric Comrie <laughs> going to public skates in California, just skate, skate, skate. You mentioned edge work. And I think there are probably some people that will hear that and they'll think crease movement patterns, T pushes, shuffles, and you talk about reverse and being good at the reverse. And there are probably even some goalies, young goalies or parents that are like, well, what's she talking about edge work? They think of the reverse as maybe not a skating position, not an edge work position. Help them bridge that gap. How How is edge work related to the RVH for you? Yeah, so, and, you know, I'll work with kids now sometimes, and I just, it's so huge. Like, and this is a big thing Matt would say, if you're going to go down in the RBH, you have to be mobile in it. And um, you can't be mobile unless you're able to hinge on your post. Like you constantly have to be hinging. So before we would go onto the post to do the RBH, he would, he would put me on the blue line and I would just go stay along the blue line. First I'd do edges on my feet. So just like C cuts, um, C cut shuffle, and then I go into my butterfly, do Edric there. So turning myself around in my butterfly, forward, backward, and just kind of getting that hinge pattern down. And then we would do it on the post. 
And I just did it so many times. And now I feel, and I still, I still do it literally every day. And it's just, it's all about, you know, you're going to find yourself in that position in a game where you're on that post and you need to be able to, to move the same way you would on your feet. So. Um, keys, because this is one I've asked of different people over the years, and this is normally one reserved when we can get on the ice and have you show us. So I'm going to ask you to, we're going to try and do this somehow over audio. But when you talk about that hinge and that back edge is so important to a good reverse, I think that gets lost. I think a lot of goalies, you know, frankly, right up to the NHL, they'll lose that. They'll just disengage that edge and have it, you know, get lost inside the net a little bit. Um, the keys to being able to sort of hinge in and out, like out, is it heels in, is it toe? Like, how do you navigate that edge, Abby, and, and, and have that control um, and have that ability to move so well in and out? Yeah, so Matt always called it your anchor leg. Yeah. Um, your anchor leg needs to be in. And even like even now, before I practice, before I have a game, and I'm just kind of going over my plan when the puck's below the goal line, I always remind myself your anchor leg needs to be in because it's so easy for it to, to kind of just hang there. And, you know, what I notice is anytime I get beat on one of those plays and I just don't move well, it's because my anchor leg wasn't like in the ice. Um, so that's the first key for me is just make sure it's in there, make sure it's activated, ready to go. Um, and then from there to be, I kind of like to use the post as leverage. So when I'm hinging, I'm pushing my body weight into the post and that pressure is what moves me. So when I teach kids how to do this, like the mistake they always make is they don't put any pressure into the post. They're just, they're literally just moving their leg and not moving any other part of their body. But what I try to teach them is you need that pressure and that force to make everything move together. And then that's how you can kind of change your, your squareness, I guess, from, you know, if you're facing a shot in the reverse or if now you're going to go bump to the other post. So you, you go through that process, you're working all the time with Matt, you end up going to Quinnipiac. Do you have access? And I, and I apologize for not knowing this in advance. But do you you get there to the NCAA? You, you've reached that goal. Do you still have access to a goalie coach on a regular basis, or were you having to manage your own game a little more? Yeah, no, I was really fortunate, and this you know this person was has also been really influential on in my career. We had um, her name's uh, Amanda Mazota. She's a assistant at Quinnipiac, and um, she was a goalie for Cornell, um, really good college hockey goalie. And she still does a lot of goalie coaching for Team Canada. So I was just like luckiest person in the world and that she was on staff and she's just an awesome person. So yeah, I went straight and her and Matt like would communicate about me. So I was just really lucky. It was a great situation. Um, and I would say the big thing I got from her is she kind of showed me how to be a goalie on a team where it was like, I don't know how to put this, like not organized, but when I was in high school and for a lot of girls, like when we play high school, if we're not on like a junior team, like the stakes are low, you know, like we're just, I was just kind of playing, like I was playing high school hockey and then you jump straight to college where your coach is like, this is their career winning matters. Um, so all of a sudden, like, rebound control became really important for me. And, and Maz sort of bridged that gap for me of, okay, like 
you can still be creative and still, um, you know, play with a, a lot of, you know, passion, but this stuff is important too. Like you have to worry about rebound control because it, it affects how our team does and, you know, every game matters. Um, so yeah, she was awesome. Okay. So rebound control is funny because people have different thoughts, right? Like it's not always just eating every puck. It's where you, it, it it's like pool, right? It's the leave on the misses too. Um, you know, help our, help our audience, help young goalies right now that are listening, uh, how you got better with rebound control, what you consider to be the key points to it and how, you know, especially since it sounds like you're starting to do some coaching and some teaching. How do you, how do you, how do you, is it situational? Is it technical? Is it a combination of being able to recognize both? I think for me, like it was just caring about it. And I think for me, I don't do well when I'm thinking about too many other things, or like I said, thinking about outcomes. So what I realized worked for me in terms of just being able to hang on to pucks or even put them exactly where I want to, it just, it ties back to patience. Like the longer I see the shot, the more information I get on it, the more clean my reaction is going to be. And that, that applies to me getting my stick on the puck, me catching a puck or just, you know, putting it where I want to. I noticed that, I was given bad rebounds because I just wasn't gathering enough information about the shot. And I was just kind of not caring about what happened after I made contact with it. So I just sort of dialed in my patience a little more and that's, what's been the most helpful for me. I just eyes getting my eyes on it longer. Okay. So actually I meant, I wanted to ask this when you were first talking about patience and seeing pucks Mm -hmm. longer and off the release, um, because we've worked with them quite a bit and, and they're, I mean, they're a sponsor of this segment, so it makes sense to ask it. And I, I forgot earlier, you use Sensorina a fair bit. If I'm not mistaken, I think Andrew Alberts told me you might be the number one user in terms of how often you use Sensorina. I don't know if it's North America or the world. Has that played a role in your ability to see pucks longer and see releases longer and all these keys and patients that you're talking about that you're now, you know, are on display right into the finals? um you know in the phf last season yeah 100 percent um and i i think our owner told me at our game he's like you know you're the world leader in like time used on sensorina i was like wow that's just funny to hear but um i love it it's unreal i think it's something i wish i had in college and like even before that like the example i always use is so when i was at quinnipiac we shared a facility with the basketball team and like all hours of the day you walk by the basketball court there's someone out there just taking shots and me and my teammates were always like oh like I wish we could just kind of go on the ice whenever like I wish there was just like kind of a low impact way that I could be working on my game all the time and you know for hockey it's just like oh I gotta get my gear on And then the ice, like ice time, it's not a thing where you can just go out. Like someone's got to be there. Someone's got to cut the ice and all that. So when I saw Sensorina, I think I saw it last year just on Instagram. And I reached out to our, um, like our marketing coordinator. I was like, I'd love to try this. And yeah, since then it's, it's literally just like a daily part of my routine. Um, And it ties, all ties back to the patience and the eyes and the drill I do every day is just stationary shooting. And I just work on literally just seeing the puck off the blade and then watching it into my hands out front and just getting those extra reps. 
And then when I go into a game, I'm like, okay, like I just have to see it. I know my reaction is going to be there because I've done it like hundreds and hundreds of times. So. I, I mean, I, I'll be honest. I, I, I knew that. I knew you were using it, and then it just—I didn't. Re- as soon as you started talking about how you how well you were seeing the puck, that's when it, cl- it clued in for me. Do you use it as a warm up activity on a game day as well? Is that is that part of this routine for you? Yeah, definitely. I think I'm at a point now where my w- warm up for my practice is the same as the game, because I'm really just trying to practice like I play. And the more I go down that road, I'm like, okay, well, why don't I just make, if, if I'm going to practice like I play, I'm just going to make the routine the same. So yeah, I use it for warm up for practice for game. I just, every single day, it's the same thing. Um, so stationary shooting to start, I don't even face any shots. I just click the different situations. So I'll start with just one where they walk, someone enters the zone, walks across the middle, takes a shot. I won't even try to stop it. I just watch it. And I just go over what my plan is for that situation. And then I go through point shot situation, uh, below the goal line, in zone, wall play, and then rush plays. And I don't even try to make a save. I just watch it happen and just go over what my plan is going to be. And then after that, I'll do the stationary shooting. I do two minutes each spot. And then that's, that's it. So it really isn't even about necessarily grooving your reactions in a lot of that. It's just about being able to almost like visualization, except more realistic, being able to put yourself in the crease and and focus on watching the puck move around the way you would in a game. Exactly. Exactly. It's like visualization, but so much easier. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Uh, So, I mean, I asked you the question about Quinnipiac career um, there ends. You, You move on from school. Uh, was pro hockey always something that you had in mind? Walk me through that decision, that transition, and and how it's changed from the one year when it was the NWHL to now the PHF and some of the exposure that you're getting through ESPN and some of the partnerships there. How are you seeing things improve on that side? Yeah, so I think when I was in college, like I've always had this passion where I'm like, I want to do this forever. And... You know, it was, we have the men's team there, Quinnipiac, and I was watching guys that I came in with and they're signing NHL contracts. And I just remember me and my teammates being like, you know, it's like heartbreaking. Like there's this guy, he's doing the same thing that you're doing and there's so much opportunity for him. And then our opportunity, we just like didn't know what it was going to be because when I was a junior in college, that's when a lot of Olympians left the then NWHL. So it was just like, we just didn't know what was going on. And then my senior year at Quinnipiac is when everyone, right after our season ended, we got sent home for COVID. And I was really just like, I just don't know what's next. Like, I don't know what this looks like. And I, at that time, there's still like Olympians weren't really in the league. And, you know, the salary cap was pretty low. And I think it was Matt just kind of called me and was like, you know, you, you should play for the NWHL next year. Like you need to play games and you just kind of have to have faith that it's going to get better. So that's what I did. And honestly, I'm so like happy I did that. You know, we didn't play a lot of games my first year because of COVID, but you know, last year was a good year. And then this year is like, you know, the league made made a big investment and, you know, a lot of me and my teammates are able to make a living off of playing. So I just feel really fortunate because, you know, so many 
girls that came before me just had to kind of quit hockey after college. And I feel like my generation's the first that there's so much more opportunity. So I just feel really lucky right now to be playing. Um, and, you know, we have a good team and there's a lot of really good players in the league right now. So it's, uh, it's been good. So I'm, I'm really grateful. And, you know, heck of a season last year, you know, you guys play, play all the way to the final. I think you were, uh, I was going to say, sorry, an all-star showcase goalie of the year nomination, like as your game just continued to grow. And that was the other question I was going to ask, like you were lucky at Quinnipiac. You said you, you had a goalie coach. Do you, is it Matt still like, do you work privately with him or do you have somebody that comes in and helps with the team environment as well? Yeah. So Matt is, he's coaching at, um, the Danbury Hatricks Null team right now. Um, and the whale. So we actually just hired someone on staff who's awesome. His name is also Matt, actually. Um, Matt Machino. Um, he is part of Procrease. You might have heard of Jared Wayman. Runs yeah, Procrease. Jared Wayman. And I think I know Jared probably through Spencer and some some Connecticut yeah. connections there as well, for sure. So, I mean, some support for the for the position. I mean, that was one of the things that I'd heard in the early years of what NWHL and we still here on the P you know, on the, on the other side with the, uh, um, the PWHPA, like, you know, you're on your own in terms of goalie coaching. It sounds like you've got some support starting there in the PHF and that's excellent. Yeah. It's awesome. I think, you know, credit goes to our head coach Colton or, and, uh, our owner Tobin Kelly. I think like when I was talking to them last spring, Colton was like, we really want to get a goalie coach on staff. And I was like, that would be awesome. And, uh, you know, so Matt's been here and it's just like, I feel like a real pro now. Like, you know, I live right near the rink and I have access to Matt, like, and he comes, comes works with me. So it's been awesome. Um, and so I'm really happy to have him and, and just, you know, have someone to kind of look at my video again and, and be able to work with me. Uh, you mentioned doing a little bit of coaching yourself. That's something that we've talked to, you know, some of the other being able to do it as a living. Um, but still your expertise as a goalie to supplement the living within the league with some coaching and some teaching, is that a side you've started to explore as well? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think I, um, I just kind of got right into it after COVID because like I'm always at the rink and I was always getting on the ice and there's actually a rink right near Quinnipiac and uh, I was skating there. So I got sent home for COVID from college and then I was like, huh, I wonder if like anyone's on the ice. So I texted the guy, Billy, who runs this rink in North Haven. I was like, hey, you like got on the ice? And he's like, be there tomorrow, 9 a.m. So I was just skating there. And then he does a lot of youth coaching. So that's kind of how I got into it, just helping him out. Um, and yeah, I still do it with just, and like I said, I'm kind of from this area. So it's it's really awesome to be able to work with kids that, you know, they're kind of from the same town as me and, and stuff. And like even you know, it's nice to just have a little extra money, but right now it's just nice to feel like, because being a pro athlete, I feel like it's very self-serving. I mean, I love it, but it's nice to do something where I feel like I'm actually helping other people and, and contributing. So um, I love it. I love working with the kids and the little goalies. So, so I'll definitely be doing that. The next generation. Now, now we have, we've talked to some people, once you start that coaching side, you start to realize some things about your own game too. Like it, can there be a benefit? Um, not that you're changing stuff, but like the game's always evolving, right? And so the more goalies you work with, I mean, this goes right to Mitch Korn. Like Mitch Korn, I, I, you know, I, I used to ask him all the time, like you've been in the NHL for all this time. 
should be in the bloody Hall of Fame. And yet every summer you pack it up in a van with a group of guys and you go do your camps all over the place. And his answer is that he's learning from the goalies. As the position evolves, he gets access to all these new goalies every year that bring new ideas and new concepts and new strengths and new weaknesses. Can there be a benefit there to, to just getting on the ice with kids who might see things a little differently? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's all, it's all a process of whether you're teaching it or you're the goalie. It's like a, it's a collaborative process and you're kind of like figuring it out together. Um, so, yeah, definitely. I think even like I was saying about the anchor league, like it's so interesting because I don't really remember what it was like when I learned that. So now teaching kids, it's interesting to see like where they struggle and, and, you know, that emphasizes what, what makes it go like the anchor league so important. Now I know like, wow, that really is without that you'd have nothing. So yeah, it's, it's honestly, it's like a dream job to when I'm not on the ice, I'm, or I'm always on the ice, but when I'm not in my gear, I'm, I'm still getting to kind of like learn and, and like I said, help, help kids too. Awesome stuff. Abby, this is, uh, I didn't tell you, I didn't ask you how much time you have, but man, I've taken up a lot of it. I obviously, like you said, you listen to the podcast, so you know, I'm kind of brutal for this. You probably, you probably expected it. Um, but I've, I've, I've just enjoyed this so much. I've learned a lot. I know our listeners will have learned a lot. Thank you so much for taking the time to sort of share with us the journey you've been on. Continued success with the whale and with the PHF. Um, just thank you. Thank you so much for all the time today. Yeah, of course, Kevin. Thank you so much. Uh, I love the podcast, as you know, and you know I could talk about this stuff all day. So, you know, pleasure's mine. Well, we're setting you up with an in-goal premium membership here as soon as we get off. And after listening to you talk about skating and all the mechanics of it, uh, I have to find a way. We threatened to get out to to see Strauss last summer, um, and now it's a trip that has to be to see two people because I want to see you on the ice skating so you can help us teach more of that next generation at ingolmag.com. So thank you so much. Uh, I can't wait, like I said, to, to catch up again, uh, hopefully in person and on the ice. Yeah, for sure. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. There's certain interviews where we connect with an athlete and I feel like I've stumbled on something. I, I feel like I've come across uh Somebody that I want to get to know a whole lot more and we'll be following a whole lot more. Abby, I know you're a listener of the podcast. I can't wait to track your progress. It, you know, and it's one of those ones where you know, sometimes we know the goalie because we had past interactions. And so the interview just rolls. Next week's guest is another right catching goaltender, Michael Hutchinson. Just caught up with him and we're setting him up for next week. Me and him have had little conversations over the years, great conversations, but they've always been short. Um, but, but you went in with some kind of background. This was just, this is almost like a get to know you session. Cause I didn't know Abby. I didn't know much about her game. Just sort of what I read on the hockey DB, you know, the history, the success, yeah. um, at Quinnipiac and, and her time in the PHF and the NWHL. And I'm with you, Darren. Like, I just love it. She was so open and kind with her time and her insights. And I thought that she delivered her answers in a way where, you, there was a takeaway there where if you were a young goalie listening and, and paying attention, you're going to get something out of there that's going to help make you better. Like when she talks about starting to branch out into teaching with young kids, like I'd want Abby Ives to work with my kids as a goaltender because there seems to yeah. be a real passion for understanding the position 
that I thought she translated so well into her answers. And I would imagine that would translate on the ice working with kids as well. And I, and I would argue not just kids, but goalies of all ages and at higher levels as well. The way she talks about holding her edges and the thought process that goes into it, um, the way she talks about the movement and the skating and the passion for it. I mean, clearly just somebody who's really immersed herself in the position, learned a ton about it. And those tend to be the ones that uh, when they can relay it that well to us, they probably relay it well to others that that they work with in a coaching environment. Uh, kindred spirits in, you see an open sheet of ice, you want to go out and you want to do goalie movements. Yeah. like that. That's like just. I, I thought I heard when she said that, I, like my mind went right to Eric Comrie because we've heard, right, like from him, yeah. like from a young age when you couldn't get any other ice. And even Connor Hellebuck, when the NAHL, when he was getting ready for it, he couldn't get ice and he was getting ready for tryouts and using that. And, you know, that's the passion you have to have. And, and you know what I'm really was happy to hear her say towards the end and then a little bit after we stopped the interview and just chatted a little bit was it sounds like they're getting there. Um, with the Premier Hockey Federation, with the PHF and with the women's game at that level, where this is the first year, she said, with the money they've invested and the investments they've got this year, that she just feels like a, like a real pro. You know, they're practicing, you know, Monday to Friday, uh, Monday, Tuesday, or sorry, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are sort of team practice. Then Friday, she's got a dedicated goalie session. They've committed the resources to bring in a goalie coach in. Um, so that, I mean, just so many positives there. And as she said, like, you know, coming out of college at a good time for it, uh, as this growth happens. And hopefully those are opportunities that everyone that follows in, in her footsteps, her skate stride, so to speak, um, just continues to see more and more of those opportunities. So some real positives there with, uh, the Connecticut whale. And, you know, like you said, uh, I'm with you, Darren, uh, a goalie that I can't wait to follow more in the future. And hopefully, as I said to her afterwards, um, see if we can get her sharing some of these thoughts on video so we can add some in some content at Ingo Premium uh with Abby Eyes yeah. as the instructor. Taking dad starts too. Back I in the day. Love it. Love it. I wish I had a kid that would take my starts because I'm getting too old to stay up for these late night beer leaks. <laughs> eight o'clock games. Wouldn't that not be awesome? An eight o'clock game. Oh man, like, uh, don't get me started. I feel like it's ten o'clock. Now. I know, I know. I get the nine fifty, and I feel like uh, we get the nine fifty, and we're early. Uh, that is a real bonus. Uh, that's the byproduct of growing the game and not enough uh, ice time. Uh, we we love the fact that uh, the rinks are packed. It just forces us old guys to to stay up uh, later. Uh, this is a, a great episode talking about Lou and meeting Abby. And uh, revisiting an old friend in Padskins. What's going on around in goal? Ah, we got, we got, uh, we continued and wrapped up the Carey Price sort of legacy of Carey Price series. That was a fun one. Uh, four parter, just getting the sort of perspective of goalies who grew up admiring him and then later had exposure to him, whether it's Carter Hart playing against him and some of the lessons learned and conversations he was able to have, the way that Carey inspired him as a young goalie. And how at times he lost himself trying to be too much like Carey Price uh, to a conversation with Eric Comrie, who got to skate with Carey in Tri-City during a lockout as a junior. Again, another guy who, as soon as he saw Carey Price play, was like, how is he so much better than everyone else? And how do I do that? And then he realized uh, in person that he think it was a lot to do with Carey's natural personality. The calmness he brought to the ice was an extension of who he was as a person. Um, talking with Casey DeSmith, the impact Carey had. Obviously, Hart 
and Comrie to Canadian kids, but that that impact crossed the border, whether it was doing up the pads the same way, uh, the way he handled the puck, like all kinds of, you know, inspiring elements. And then we wrapped it up with Jake Allen and some of his peers, like guys that were actually older than Kerry, but still admired the way he moved and skated and wanted to play like him. So, um, you know, the funny thing is they all said they hope he plays again. But I think when Kerry met with the media a couple of weeks ago, he seemed realistic about, about you know, needing a medical miracle for that to happen. So we hope this tribute was premature, but it just felt like the right time to do it. We'd had these conversations and, you know, I think there was value in each of them. There's actually takeaways and, and lessons learned from others that had gotten to learn lessons from being around him. And so hopefully that came across in the series as well. And as we expanded it, the, you know, not just lessons from watching Carrie, but lessons, you know, Comrie's was different from hearts. Right. And so yeah. just give you a glimpse of a goalie who may or may not be done. We hope not, but if he is, his legacy will be felt in the national hockey league for years and years to come. As you went through that list and it was great series, uh, loved, uh, that journey, but, Eric Comrie's been great so far. Uh, Jake Allen's been outstanding. And Montreal has got some really good goaltending going uh, with, with Sam and Jake. So fun to watch uh, them do their thing uh, as they are playing on teams, trying to take that next step or at least buy some time for the forwards who are on the younger end uh, to, to find their, their footing a little bit. But uh, Comrie, I could, I could just watch Comrie all day. Yeah, I know. He's been really good. And it's interesting, too, because... Um, at the start of the season, the raw numbers were off the charts, like 930. Now, those have dropped, but the adjusted numbers haven't. Eric Comrie right now is playing behind, I don't want to say the worst, because that you know that they're obviously missing some key guys on defense. He's playing behind the most difficult defensive environment in the National Hockey League right now. His expected save percentage is down around, it's in the 850s. I'm not sure if it's 859 or if it's dropped even below then. Really tough environment as they battle through some defensive injuries. And he's still outperforming it. So you see the raw numbers come down and people are like, oh, you know, the start isn't there. The truth is Eric Comrie is still standing on his head and playing brilliantly for the Sabres. Um, he's just being asked to do a lot more than anybody should uh, as they wait for some of their defensemen to get healthy. Love what you, you do every week on ingolmag.com. Also want to mention an uh, outstanding article on the Bauer Connect Skates over at NHL.com, which you also write for. We don't give you enough credit and mentions for that, but uh, I still find it cool when I see your byline on NHL.com, whether it's a Canucks game, or in this case, exposing the new skates to the world uh, for the first time. Yeah, I know. It's funny because at Ingle, like we've had articles about Connect and we did the full review and Charlie, yeah. Charlie Lindgren was a big part of both. But I, you know, for my, my goalie column, which runs bi-weekly now on NHL.com, it's like, this one kind of got put off a couple times. Like it was, I had it queued up for the first article of the season, and I'm actually glad I did. We we held it off for a couple different reasons, and it actually carries presser and, and tribute to him was another one. We held it off for another couple of weeks, and in that time, the increase in guys wearing it has been remarkable to me. Like Semyon Varlamov throwing it into a game for the first time the other day, and then talking to Corey Schneider the next day, and Corey's like. Yeah, I texted him. I'm like, did I see you in the skates we were talking about in the in the preseason that I'm wearing? And he's like, yes, I have questions. Call me tomorrow. Like, like guys are uh, are adding this to their you know to their gear mid season. Yaroslav Halak told me 
you know, and there's a guy 17 years in the league, 37 years old. Do you expect him to switch gear? As, and he's finicky with his gear. Like, he's very particular. And he to- actually told me he wanted to get out of them. Like, simply because he hated the white cat or the white holders. He always has black huh. holders on his custom-made skates. And he wanted black holders. But Bauer doesn't make them. They only make white. So he's like, I, I can't do white. I want black. But he couldn't switch back. The comfort. Really? Couldn't, he could not get himself to yeah. switch back because he loves the skates. So, um, you know, Auntie Ranta hasn't worn him in a game yet, but I know he's close. He told, we told us on the podcast just last week how close he is in that process of getting comfortable yeah. with him and getting them broken in. Um, it's, it really is kind of remarkable to see. And I guess for NHL.com, a different audience, right? Like those in the goalie world know that this is going on, but in the mainstream hockey world, you can't really see those skates under the pads. And nobody's really looking for them to so to sort of expose like hopefully it opened a lot of eyes like you just see the little neon yeah, right the 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 line well and a lot of guys they're just wearing the blacked out ones because they don't want to make a big show yeah. of it like Yuri Patera with Henderson Golden or Silver Knights he's got the blacked out ones so I don't know hopefully like you know the non goalie crowd had their eyes open like oh my god these guys are wearing essentially ski boots under their pads ski boots and so yeah. uh, it was it was a fun one to write and it was interesting to me how many guys got back to me right away? Like Nadelkovich right away just told me what he liked about him, texted me back right away. Thomas Grice texted me back. And it's funny, a lot, like a lot of guys chirp them about it until it comes time to get ready to go on the ice. Um, man, do not underestimate how much these guys love just slipping their feet in into, into that boot and putting two buckles on and they're gone. Like, there's a great story. I'm going to leave this as a tease for next week, folks. Michael Hutchinson in next week's episode tells a great story about Roberto Luongo and tying skates. And maybe, just maybe, if Bauer had been a few years earlier with the Connect skate, Roberto Luongo would still be playing. Really? Yep. It's well, now it's, you've got Oh, me it's a great interested. story. That's what we call a tease, right? And let me tell tease. you, make sure you stick around for next week with Michael Hutchinson because uh, he was fantastic in our interview today. I have not had a chance to wear them on the ice, the Connect skates, but I put them on once, and it's a game changer. I I, I want a pair so bad because just like tick tick boom on, and and I I want to be able to skate on them, but just being able to clip them in two two buckles, it, like I'm I'm sold, sold, but also sold out. So you might have to wait. Talking about oh. Bauer as we were prep, prepping this, things have gone so well with this skate that they're they're they've got more coming uh, from the manufacturer. It's gone it's gone that well as well as it's going in the NHL with twelve guys, seventeen in the American Hockey League right now. Um, it's going just as well at retail. So. Uh, it looked different. It was different. There were questions about it, uh, but it's been a big hit. And I think for a lot of reasons, you know, Michael Hutchinson, again, not to give too much of the interview away, but he talks about how much better his body feels after playing a game wearing these skates. So lots to get into next week with him. Oh, so Can't good. wait. Love it. Thank you to Abby Ives, as well as Cam over at the hockey shop and you for listening to in goal radio, the podcast. <laughs>